Our lesson for today in our Bible lesson is in Luke chapter 24. I love Luke 24. It's Luke is a great writer. Luke was a man who I think came to know Jesus through the ministry of Paul. Keep in mind that Luke was a doctor, and he that means he was educated. And they had very strict educational training back then because they basically had to go by rote memory on the whole book. So you had to memorize like the whole uh, medical book. And they had had hundreds of years of medical experience in the Greek world. And just go back and read some of the medical science from the Greeks. And you'll be impressed that these people were much smarter than we give them credit for. So Luke was an educated man. He writes two books of the Bible. He writes the book of Luke, which is this gospel, but he also writes the book of Acts. And he dedicates both books to the same man, a man named Theophilus. Some people have said Theophilus was uh, just the name for, it means uh, someone who loves God. But I think Theophilus was a real man. And he wrote these books and, and he showed both in the way he wrote that he knew what he was talking about, and some of his accounts are so detailed that historians have used Luke as the prime example and the best example of how people got around and traveled and did certain things back in the ancient days. So here's a man who is not an idiot. Here's not a man who's going to be prone to superstition. He's not a man who's just going to start talking about wild tales. Here is an educated man who saw with his own eyes miraculous things. And we're going to learn something about him and really about his message in chapter 24 of Luke. And again, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Now, the, the Sunday school lesson has the first 12 verses. I think it's important to go a little further, but let's keep going. So now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. If you remember, uh, they didn't have time earlier because they were in a hurry to get Jesus buried. And so... Joseph of Arimathea, a very rich man, had a brand new cut uh, out tomb that would have cost a fortune. I mean, you can think about how many man hours it took to, to carve out of solid rock an entire cave and, and a place where you can get in, have a shelf to lay a person's body on, a crypt, and then have a big stone, which had to be milled and brought out and cut uh, at a quarry and brought in. Can you imagine how much money it cost to have that? How much would it cost today to carve out a solid tomb out of solid rock? I, I mean, you, you're talking about a fortune, and that's with uh, modern hydraulic machinery. You can imagine with picks and axes and uh, all the, the little techniques they use, it would have taken them a year to make the, the, the tomb probably. So it's brand new. And Joseph of Arimathea is trying to get Jesus buried before six o'clock because that's when the Sabbath was. So they, they lay him in 
the, the, the burial shroud was probably one long cloth. They lay him on top of one end and they fold it over him so that he is covered on the front and back. They probably laid a few flowers around him and they took the head cloth that they had covered him from uh, his death. After they pulled him from the cross, they covered his face, I think. And then they laid it aside next to the tomb. So he's, he's just laid in there and they, they may have even wrapped him, uh, like tied up that shroud so that it was tight to his body. So that's how they laid him, and they closed the, the tomb, and the, and the guards were actually guarding the outside of the tomb. So the women, normally, they didn't have normal undertakers. It was a, a usually friends of the family, or maybe even some relatives, would actually treat the body in certain ways with certain uh, ointments, and it is my understanding that the purpose of these ointments were the opposite of what the Egyptians did. They weren't trying to embalm Jesus. They were trying to enhance the deterioration process of the skin because what they would often do is the body, the flesh, would eventually be done away with by by nature. And the worms, the the, the maggots, all that would just get rid, and, and the bones... They sometimes would take and lay out in the sun to bleach them, and then they would take the dry bones, put them in a small ossuary, which is a small coffin, and that would be the permanent burial place for the Jewish dead. And it was a respectful thing to do because they take the, the skeleton and the bones, they, they lay them in this box about the size of a cooler, and uh, you would be buried. Your name would be on it or something like this. So the women didn't have time to put these ointments and perfumes on the body. Remember, they're not trying to preserve anything. And they wanted to do what their tradition was. Well, they get there, and and you'll notice here, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. So that's that's odd, because it's a big rock. And then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. (laughs) That's even more odd. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. So we have here in this account, we see that that they see two men in shining garments. It's not the only time you're going to see this in the Bible. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Now, I believe these two men or these two shining men were probably angels, but they could have been men because God could have sent some men from heaven to be talking to. So I I don't want to be completely close-minded to that. So, for instance, Jesus met with Elijah and Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they weren't angels. They were men. So God could do whatever he wants to do here. He could have sent these men, or they could have sent the angels. It doesn't matter, because the angels, when they show up, they show up as usually men and as people in shining garments. He is not here, the angel says, or the messenger, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. Well, that kind of went in one ear and out the other for them. (laughs) They didn't, they heard it, but did they understand it? No, 
And they remembered his words, though. They remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. So they, 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 they tell the disciples, hey, we've, his, the tomb's empty, and we met these guys there who, in shining garments, and they said that he's not a, a dead but alive. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. One of the reasons why we can believe the story of the resurrection is the fact that Jesus first reveals himself to the women, okay, to Mary Magdalene first, and then to the other women. That is important because had they been faking this, had this been something made up, they would have dismissed this as some silly woman. They would have considered women to be silly and not not that reliable in legal terms. So they would have said, oh, it's just some woman's tale. And they, they would have not believed. But because it really happened, they didn't have a reason to hide the truth. They said, well, it is true. Why should we lie about it? You know, why should we lie about it if it is true? So they just said the truth. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb in verse number 12. And stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves And he departed marveling to himself at what had happened. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus. Now I'm going to include this story of the road to Emmaus because I think it's very important. It's the only place in the Bible where it's given in this detail. And uh, it's about a seven-mile journey from Jerusalem. So if you're walking seven miles... You could probably do it in three hours, maybe, about three hours. That's about what you can walk on a golf course, I guess. Isn't that about right? So, (laughs) but I mean, when they walk a golf course, they walk at least around five to seven miles, and they're stopping a lot. So if they did nothing but walk, yeah, they can do it in three, three, certainly in three hours. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. <laughs> now, here's what Jesus does to them. Jesus has a sense of humor, my friends. He does have a sense of humor. In several places in the Bible, he has a sense of humor. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. So Jesus fixed it to where he disguised himself in their eyes so they didn't expect him, nor did they see him as Jesus. So Jesus has got to be tickled in his heart, (laughs) walking with them as uh, secretly, like a secret spy. I I just think Jesus is having fun with them. So, and he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? (laughs) Well, of course they're sad. They just lost Jesus. They, they, They think that everything they had hope for was over and they were just ah oh, they were just downcast and Jesus says what, what what kind of talk is this why are you so sad <laughs> so they said then the one whose name was Cleopas that sounds like a southerner doesn't it Cleopas <laughs> I tell you sometimes these names just fit perfectly with the south Cleopas Cleo for short I guess 
He answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? <laughs> so he says, are you the only person who doesn't know what went on? And he said to them, what things? <laughs> So Jesus pretends to be ignorant here. He's just leading them on. He's having fun with them like you would have fun with somebody when you're teasing a child that, oh, you didn't really get what what you want for Christmas. Yes, you wanted the big bike. Yes, you wanted this big machine or this big gun or whatever you wanted. But I'm sorry, but you really, I don't think you really got it. Uh, I'm sorry. I think it's You know, you've all done that to children and people, haven't you? And don't you love teasing them? And and they're just all stressed out thinking, I'm not going to get it. And and you know in your heart that they're going to get exactly what they want. But you got to really lead them on so that they, you really can enjoy the ultimate surprise at the end. And don't you think that Jesus loves us infinitely more than we love those around us? (laughs) Doesn't he love us more? And he treats us a lot like we treat children. So he he says uh, to them, what things? So they said to him, "Uh, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem and pay for Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets. Now, Moses would have been the first five books of the Bible. So he goes back to the very beginning of the Bible. He goes through all the prophets. And one by one, he starts saying, well, it says this, it says this, it says this, it says this. And they're like, oh my goodness, that's right, that's right, that's right. Check, 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 check. The checklist is perfect. Perfect. And He expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, I'm hoping that Jesus met them on the front end of this three-hour journey. I really am. Because then they would have had the wonderful privilege of hearing Jesus talking for three hours. (laughs) uh, And they're like, wow, this is amazing. So, and Jesus is not boring. Let me tell you, he, he is not boring at all. So, he, he, he preached every one of the scriptures that talked about himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going. And he indicated that he would have gone further so or farther. So he acted like he was going to keep going. <laughs> but they said, they constrained him saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. So they invited him in and said, stay with us. 
Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, he blessed, and he broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. So so they had seen him do this before and he had a certain way of doing it. I don't know how he did it, but he did it a certain way in the way he blessed the bread, prayed over it, and broke it. He did it a certain way. His mannerisms were unique to him, and I can't do it like him because I didn't see it myself. But they knew it, and when they saw that, they knew it was Jesus. And then he just disappeared. <laughs> he says, you know, bye-bye, I'm gone. So they, they're like, okay, it's, they're sitting down to supper, they, they're, they're tired from a whole long day of hearing all kinds of stories. And remember, the disciples were also afraid because if they killed Jesus, they might kill them too. Remember, they were afraid. They were all holed up in a room, so they were under great uh, stress. So you can imagine how physically tired you would have been at the end of the day. But look what they did. They, uh, verse 32, and they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour, probably they garbled down the food they had and returned to Jerusalem, another three-hour walk, maybe longer because it's uphill. (laughs) Jerusalem is downhill, okay? Everywhere from Jerusalem is downhill, so they have to walk uphill for three hours. And found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. In other words, Peter was the first of those men disciples who actually saw Jesus alive. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. So Jesus shows up here. Something about Jesus's new body is not subject to the same limitations that his old body would have been. So he can just appear and uh, like, almost like we can send, uh, I have a phone here, you do too, most of you. You can actually send an image of somebody through a wall and transmit it, can you not? Well, in the new body, we can transmit our bodies that way without losing who we are and it's no big deal. I mean, if you really think about it, to be able to talk to somebody on the other side of planet Earth and see their face on your phone in this room, you can do this. Now, any other generation would have said that's a miracle. (laughs) But we know it and take it for granted. So don't think it's that incredible that Jesus, the maker of all things, including telecommunication and radio signals, God made everything. Don't think it's hard for him to transmit himself this way because he can do whatever he wants. And that's the way our bodies are going to be. And they're not going to be fake bodies. They're going to be real, but they're not going to be subject to the same rules because he can literally move in and out. And he proves that point here. He says, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit, in other words, a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do you doubt, do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself, handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, 
as you see I have. So he's not just a spirit. He's a man, but a different man. And even in the comic books, Superman can't go through walls. He can break walls down, but I don't think he can transmit through walls. So not even Superman can do that. So Jesus is greater than Superman by far. That's something to look forward to because we, we're all used to comic book characters and all the fantastic things they can do. Well, they're nothing compared to Jesus who's real. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy, in other words, they're afraid to believe. That's what they're saying. It's not that they, they didn't believe because they doubted. In this case, they were just afraid that they, they, were, they were doubting themselves. They're not doubting Jesus. They're doubting themselves. And I think a lot of people doubt themselves. But this is real, and they were all experiencing it. And it says here, they were uh, surprised and marveled at it. He said to them, have you any food here? So he's still trying to prove to them that he's really there. So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate in their presence. So he ate the food to prove that he's not some spirit or an illusion. Because the last time I, I have thought about this, which is not many times actually, but if you think about it, uh, these spirits can't eat food. They just, they can't do it. It wouldn't work. So then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding and they, that they might comprehend the scriptures. And then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So we are to preach repentance and forgiveness of sins. Remission is almost, is really the, the removal of sins preached in his name to all nations. So everybody needs this message starting in Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, which is just right outside of Jerusalem, near the Mount of Olives. And he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now, it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Now, now the last sentences actually happened a little bit later uh, than it seems to say. And the reason why is that Luke wrote this book first and he wanted to make sure that his resurrection what, I mean, his ascension to heaven was put in there. So he puts it in. But in the first chapter of the book of Luke, he explains it in more detail. And you see where he goes to heaven and it, it explains it a lot more. So he just basically, he, he, he explains that he eventually takes them up there to the Mount of Olives where he goes to heaven. So any comments or questions about this uh, uh, chapter? Because it's a wonderful chapter.